0: also a prayer request on the flip side of that. If you want to fill that out, anybody can do that. Drop it in one of the boxes and we'll be able to make sure that those prayers are prayed for this afternoon. know, sometimes I get the impression as I go through life that, um, that uh, underneath a lot of things in our life, there's this kind of hidden hope, hidden hope that someday life's just going to be what I always dreamed it would be. Anybody here have that kind of hope? You just kind of think that one day, well, I spend, uh, when I'm on this planet, it's all going to work out. Uh, in other words, my proverbial ship is one day going to what? Come oh, in. I'm going to buy the right lottery ticket. Not that I do that, but uh, uh, yeah. Or I'm going to get the job that I never thought I would ever get. It's going to pay me more money than I could ever imagine. And um, But you know, it might not just be financial. I mean, I've been kind of thinking about this. What if during my lifetime there was somebody who came up with a pill you could take that would immediately, like, knock off 10 pounds? How many of you would join me with that, okay? I mean, all week long you eat whatever you want, as much as you want, and then just at the end of the week you just take the pill and knock off 10 pounds. What about relationships, Maybe there's a secret hope that we have that someday everybody is just going to love us. (laughs) And there's not going to ever be any conflict. All the kids are going to do exactly like I want them to. and My parents are going to do exactly like I want them to. (laughs) I mean, isn't there this kind of secret hope that um, the fullness of life, we just hope one day is just kind of handed to us and But as we go through life, what do we learn? It's just probably not going to happen, right? We're, we're just going to have to work, at most everything. We're going to have to work in order to have enough money just to make ends meet, to pay the bills and we have to face the reality that our ship is never really going to come in. I mean, I see I see aging parents spending my inheritance. I thought that was it. <laughs> I'm the only one that feels No, I'm just kidding. If I'm going to lose weight, what am I going to have to do? <laughs> I'm going to have to exercise an awful lot, first of all. And I'm going to have to stop eating cakes and pies and bread and hamburgers and ice cream, and french fries. It's just going to take a lot of work. And if I'm going to have quality relationships, what am I going to have to do? There's never going to be a time where everybody's just going to love you or love me and be happy with everything and do everything the way we want them to. There's going to be conflict, and I'm going to have to work through that. And and we develop this understanding that everything worthwhile in this world takes a lot of work. It's just the way this world operates. And so we take that whole ethic, if you will, work ethic, and we transfer it over to our spiritual life and walk with the Lord. And if we're going to make that work, if we're going to be successful spiritually, we immediately think what? It's going to take a lot of work. Oh, but then we start studying the Scripture and we start delving into this whole thing called grace. And this whole different picture emerges. And I'm here to tell you, we just really don't know what to do with it. We just really don't know what to do. We don't have a context For grace. I mean, Jesus goes to the cross, and after all the drama that week, right before he dies, he says what? He says these three words. It is finished. And there's a common belief in the church that that means that the mission of Christ is completed. He now can forgive people of their sins, and they can restore the relationship with the Father, and they get to go to heaven when they die. It's finished. His mission is complete. We have access to heaven. It does mean all those things. But it means more than that. I'm here to tell you, everything is finished. Every spiritual thing is completed and finished. You see, when he said it is finished, Jesus was saying that our search, our quest for being significant and having purpose and being accepted and being liked and being The search is over. His finished work just provided it. The battle over sin, well, it's been won. The battle over death, well, it's been won. The battle over feeling like I matter, well, it's been won. Meaning, purpose, that battle in life, it's been won. It's been settled. And he did it. He won it all. and yet you know this whole idea of the provision of the of the cross the provision of the empty tomb for us it's kind of lost on us in this earn your way world this work 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 world why would he just do that why would he just give it it's because he loves us right and that's the gospel And quite frankly, I think a lot of people, maybe even a lot of Christians, just don't get the gospel. We just don't get the meaning of the gospel that it is finished. The search is over. There's a story over in Luke 15. I'm not going to take the time to read it, but let me just kind of give it to you in a capsule form. It's about a man who has these two sons. We call it the prodigal son story. And The younger son is rebellious, and he asks his dad for his part of an inheritance. He says, I kind of count you as dead already, Dad. Can you give me my half of the inheritance? (laughs) I want to take it right now while I'm young. And he goes off to a distant land and he lives it up, just doing whatever he wants, whenever he wants. I guess the modern version of it today would be drugs, illicit sexual escapades, drinking binges. But one day, he runs out of money, and he comes to his senses, it says. Uh, He's working in a pig farm. And he goes home. He goes home wanting to earn his way back into his father's favor. And while he's on the way home, what happens? The father sees him because the father's been out there every day looking for his son. And the father runs to him and gives him a great kiss before he can even respond and start his explanation of how he wants to earn his way back. The father kisses him and puts a robe on him and a ring on his finger. And he tells the servants, go out and we're going to get a party together because my son who was lost has now been found. He's come home. Huh. Let's have a party. I'm here to tell you it's the most undeserved party in history. Meanwhile, back at the house, there's an older brother he has been home all this time while the younger son was out doing his thing. He's been home living the way he ought to live, not being rebellious. And to be quite frank, he's kind of incensed about all of this party-throwing for his undeserving little brother. I mean, his behavior was immaculate. And everybody, the whole household is celebrating the return of this rebellious brother who deserves nothing. In Philippians, I want you to just hold that story in your mind. Philippians chapter 3, Paul, the apostle, is giving his testimony. And At the beginning of that verse, he talks about how great he was as a rule keeper. He says, nobody kept the rules better than I did. Nobody kept the law better than I did. If anybody had standing or merit before God, I had it. And he says, I counted all loss. He says, none of it, none of it matters. I count it all as trash, rubbish. And the reason he does is found in verse 9, and this is our verse for today. Philippians 3.9 says, That I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. I think most of us in the room that have studied the Scriptures would put the Apostle Paul as one of those premier saints. <laughs> well, let me ask you, you think of the most holy, righteous person you know, okay? It, it, this Scripture would be like the, the most, the best, the most kind, the, the most loving, the most holy, holy, righteous person you know saying, none of it matters, none of it matters. I don't have a righteousness of my own. What does it mean to not have a righteousness of my own? And, and what are the actual implications of that statement? Because they're staggering. He says that in the first part, that I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own. And it's crucial to understanding the power of the gospel. When we recognize that we, in and of ourselves, possess Zero righteousness. We take this giant step forward in understanding the gospel and how God works in our lives. Because when it comes right down to it. Don't we think we have merit? When it comes right down to it. Don't we think we have some merit? I'm here to tell you today that this has been the struggle of my life. This has been the struggle of my journey with Jesus in my younger days. Not that that was that long ago, by the way. You see, when I was growing up, I was one of those odd kids. I say odd because I like to practice the piano. If you've had kids before and you've given them piano lessons, and I've taught a number of piano lessons, there's very few kids that like to practice the piano and I was odd. I would sit there and practice the piano. I loved it. I'd sing along, and I developed just growing up, singing and playing. When I got in my teen years, I would sing at church, sing at youth camps, invariably in those situations when I was singing, and some well-meaning adult would come up to me and say something like this, God is really going to use you. I was a good kid. I made good grades, followed the rules that I thought would make God happy. And I I can't tell you, throughout my adolescent years, somebody would come up to me, and adult after adult would tell me how much God is going to be able to use somebody like me. And so I grew up with this whole attitude for some unknown reason. God had just blessed me more than the next guy. And I carried the the same attitude out into adulthood and, and I just expected that the plum jobs would come my way because surely God wants His best people in the best places, right? I mean, do you see the self-righteous arrogance in all of that? And then life doesn't turn out the way you expect. And one day I found myself without a job, out of ministry, no prospects. And I have to confess, I still didn't really get it. Because there were several weeks where I went and I I kept thinking, I wonder why God is wasting me. (laughs) It was at that point where that time of my life that God did something special. He showed me. He showed me the absolute joy and beauty of having no merit. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you one of the best things you're going to hear today. One of the best truths you're going to hear today. One of the most exhilarating, life transforming things you're going to hear today is this you have no merit, you have no righteousness of your own. Because it's at that point where. I guess the way I could put it is I I quit being an older brother and saw myself as the prodigal. Weak, broken, dependent on him for everything. We often think we have merit. We often think we should be noticed and counted and privileged. And It's the prodigal. It's the one who takes the place of the prodigal in the story who has come to understand how God works and what the gospel is all about. It's the reality that all helpless prodigals know and share. I mean, can you imagine the prodigal that day at the party? I mean, can you imagine the prodigal who is undeserved of this party? Can you imagine him going to his father and says, you know, Dad, I really don't like the music. Could you put something else on? Do you have any other kind of food? I know the fatted calf, oh my word. Come on, let's do something else. The bed, I took a nap earlier, it's just so hard. Can you imagine the prodigal saying that? No. He's just bursting with joy. He had nothing to offer. All he had to offer was brokenness, sinfulness, waywardness. And the father said, I'll take you. I'll take you. And it's sad when we begin to think that we have a right to sit at the table. It's sad because of what we forfeit when we think we have a right to live in the mansion. Because that means we're older brothers. Your average church couple was raising their two boys and... um, These two boys grew to be the pride and joy of their mother. They grew up to be pastors, both of them, and um, mom beamed with joy every time someone asked, how are the boys doing? Well, let me tell you about their ministries. They're just flourishing. Then one day her world fell apart. The younger son, he left his ministry, left his wife for a man. How do you think mom reacted? Well, she banned him from her house and her life. She, she wouldn't return his phone calls, and she wanted nothing to do with him. And uh, as mad as she was with her son, who was she more mad at? God, because she had taken her boys to church every Sunday, made sure they attended Sunday school. She put them through Christian schooling and sent them off to church camp every summer. She had done everything. She had performed so well, she felt like God would have to do certain things on her behalf. And now her son had taken a different path. She had grown to believe that there's some kind of divine quid pro quo with God. I behave properly. He owes me. She lived out the rest of her days still going to church, but she refused to take communion. It's just kind of an ongoing protest. He didn't get the gospel. She just doesn't get the gospel. Understanding that we have no standing, no merit of our own to understand is to understand the gospel. And when we begin to think that opinion, our opinion is what matters, and our biblical knowledge, or our education, or our talent, whatever. Sometimes people think they've served the church so well and they've, they've given up so sacrificially that That merits some kind of reciprocation. Bad things won't happen to me. And sometimes people think that if they can... Well, it's kind of like this. Pastor, I don't normally do this, but I just want you to know that this large check, it's from me. Okay? Don't normally do this. And there should be some kind of reciprocation from God. Understanding that we have no righteousness of our own is the entry point, the doorway into the realization of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Prodigals get this. They get this. They understand where they were and how the grace of God found them and radically transformed their lives. They get this. I remember my friend Terry, when I lived in Tampa, Florida, he was this Vietnam vet, and he dealt with his PTSD with hard drugs and alcohol. He just didn't know how to deal with it. And he finally got to the point where life wasn't worth living. He was going to take his own life. And in those final moments, somebody, his last call, he was introduced to Jesus. And he just couldn't believe that Jesus wanted him, that Jesus would be the Father standing on the road waiting for him to kiss him and put a robe on his back and a ring on his finger and throw him apart. He just, that doesn't make sense. Why would he do that for me? Well, that's the gospel, Terry. And he received grace. And when I met him, he just couldn't, talk, he couldn't stop talking about Jesus. And every time he he would tell his story, and tell his testimony, and talk about Jesus, Just the tears would well up in his eyes. And he would say, I was so lost, so very lost, and now I am so completely found. I have been radically changed. I am new. I mean, I hate to say this, I was a pastor in the church, and I, I knew that if I had something to do, I, I knew who I could call. Sure, I, I could do it. I would love to do it. I'd love to serve Jesus in any way that I possibly can. And every time you were around Terry, there was this contagious joy. Because there was no expectation of reciprocation from God. He just was so very grateful. And those who've been raised in the church... Uh, I think we struggle with this whole void of personal righteousness. I mean, take me, I grew up in a church community and I never rebelled and did everything the way I was supposed to do it and the church did a wonderful job at raising me as an older brother. If you're here today and... um, You've lived a life similar to that of the prodigal and you think that, uh, that God wouldn't have you because you have nothing to offer? I mean, if that's you, if you think that your past and your history is so stained and so sinful or whatever that you, that God surely doesn't want you, I want you to know if that's you today, you probably have a better chance of understanding the gospel than the person that's been raised in the church. Because you know you have no merit. God never looks at what you and I have to offer because, let's be serious, what do we have to offer? No righteousness of our own. He gives us everything this is the other part where we don't get the gospel. It's the second part of the verse. Look at that. Uh, That I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. You know, even if we get the first part, I have no standing with God. I have no righteousness. I understand that Christ does everything. His grace is sufficient. I have nothing to offer except to be the receiver of His wonderful life in me. If we get that part, a lot of times we, we, we just don't believe that the full imputation of righteousness of God has been actually given to us. The very full life of God has been planted within our very lives. And because we don't get that, the power of the resurrection, as he talks about in the next verse, the power of the resurrection doesn't flow through our lives because we really believe that we're kind of still responsible, and um, we've got to help God, and we've got to work hard, and instead of just receive and let him do his thing. We, we, We don't say this, but we live like we don't believe that God is satisfied with the it is finished work of Christ. We need to help that. For some reason, we still believe that God has this ongoing daily acceptance and evaluation of our performance and cast a judgment each and every day how well we do. But here's the other part of the gospel. You have the righteousness of God. Did you know that? You have been given the righteousness of God. I want you to think of it this way. Let's say you owe the bank a lot of money. I know that that's not true of anybody in the room, but let's say you owe the bank a lot of money. Okay, let's say you're in a lot of debt. Okay? In fact, you got a lot of those bank charges you know, for bounce checks because you've been trying to make it all, juggle it all, by, you know, trying to make it work. How much how much are those bounce check charges these days? I didn't think you'd want to answer that one, you know. You walk into the bank, you meet with the president, say, I don't know what to do. I can't repay this. I will never be able to repay this. The debt is so huge. I have all these charges. And the bank, the bank president sees your situation and he says, you know what? We're just going to forgive the debt. We're just going to wipe your slate clean. We're not going to hold this against you anymore. We're even. Okay? You're off the hook, set free. And I've kind of just described to you an illustration of North American modern Christianity. Because if you ask somebody in the uh, typical American church today and you say, you know, what would you say to Jesus if he asked you on judgment day, why should I let you into my kingdom? We will say because Jesus died for me on a cross and he paid my debt in full and I get into heaven. But what if the bank president says, well, before that, let's say the person now is on his way out, and let me ask you this question. What is his financial position as he walks out of that bank compared to what his financial position was when he walked into that bank? He doesn't know any more money, but guess what? He still doesn't have what? Any money. And so now what does he have to do? He has to get to what? Work. 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 And that's how many Christians today live. Jesus canceled my debt. I owe Him. I've got to work. I've got to prove to Him that I'm deserving of His sacrifice for me. That is not the gospel. The gospel is as if the bank president goes back and he says, hey, before you leave, no, no, I'm not done with you. Get back in here. I'm not done with you. He says, we've wiped your slate clean, but I also want you to know this. We've added your name to the ledger of the bank, and all that the bank possesses now is yours. You have full access and full privilege to all of the resources of this bank. That's the gospel. Do you believe today that you have full access to the power of God Almighty? Do you believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, you have access to who He is and what He wants to do in this world and the fullness of His life flowing, living through you? Or perhaps we've gained so much comfort in the passing of time where we haven't seen that kind of power activity, and so we just kind of theologically assent to receiving the righteousness of God, but. Don't really draw access the kingdom. Every day I think I have something to offer. I'm fooling myself. I'll never have a righteousness of my own. I will always boast only in the righteousness. In his finished work. I'm still the prodigal. Nothing to offer living in this great place that he's brought. I have no personal right to sit at the table, but Jesus has made it a way for me. So don't wake up every morning trying to please yourself. What a terrible way to live. What an empty way to live. And you may never have thought you'd hear a pastor say this, but don't wake up every morning trying to please God. Don't wake up every morning and say, I want to do something. I'm going to try hard to make God proud of me today. I tried that for a lot of years. Why don't you try this? Why don't you wake up in the morning and realize that God is fully pleased with you? He's fully pleased with you before your feet hit the ground. And it's not because of anything you've done. It's because it is finished. It's because He's done it. And because of His presence, you belong to the Father, to the Father. I remember my kid was, my son was five years old and he played on a soccer team. Have you ever been to a five-year-old soccer team, game? I was the coach. I didn't know any rules of soccer, but I was the coach. Okay? It didn't matter. Because all you were trying to do is get this bunch of kids to kick it in that goal and this bunch of kids to kick it in that goal. That's all it was. And every time my kid could get his foot on the ball and kick it, what did I, as his dad, do? Yeah, that's my boy. Sometimes he'd kick it the wrong way. I don't care. That's my boy. He played baseball, and I cheered every hit, I cheered every strikeout. I didn't care. He was my boy. Jesus loves us, folks. And you realize that I don't want to stand on my own merit. Well, how pitiful is that? I don't have it. I'm done. I receive his righteousness. I'm his kid. And I don't, have to, I don't have to run anymore. I don't have to hide anymore. I don't have to keep trying and striving to make him happy. I don't have to keep taking from people and taking things and try to Find that place with him. I possess it all in him. Because it's finished. It's finished. I want you to bow your heads with me. And before we sing these final songs, I just want to ask you a few questions. Maybe when I tell the story of the prodigal son, you you, you find a... A similarity in your own life, and you, you feel like, I, 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 can, I can identify with, the, with the, the prodigal son because there's this part of me that I've avoided God, I've been living unto myself, I've been in my own distant place, and I, I've hesitated going back to Him because I just don't want to face all this. I don't want to come to grips with the sin in my life. I don't want to come to... It's just easier if I can avoid Him and just kind of keep Him at a distance, You may even think that what you've done disqualifies you from God. I want you to know those are all lies. They're all lies. Because as soon as you turn and start down that road home, you'll find that he is a father who will turn and run to you. And he'll just say, I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting so long for you. He'll kiss you He'll put a robe on your back and a ring on your finger, and all of heaven will rejoice and have a party. can be trusted. What about those of you who may be here today that think you have some kind of standing with Him and you've given your life to Him and you've tried hard to live for Him and um, you just expect that He will shelter you from suffering? I'm here to tell you that's a lie. You have no standing of your own. And I pray that you would come and lay that down before him today and say, Lord, I'm not standing on my merit anymore. I receive the fullness of the life of Christ Jesus in me. I receive the finished work. I will quit striving to achieve, quit striving to please, quit striving to make you accept me. I'm just going to receive who you are and your full righteousness. Father I pray in these moments as you deal with our hearts and if you as you minister into our lives the truth of God I just pray father that there would be someone here today that would say you know I've been running I've been keeping God away I've been keeping him at a distance because I thought that I thought that it was all about what I had done or what my behavior was or I never realized the the beauty of grace so I am today coming to you And confessing before you and just saying, receive me, Jesus, into your family. I I trust in your finished work on the cross to pay for my sin. I trust in your finished work on the cross to provide me the resurrected life. I'm trusting in you for everything now. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm not going to lean on my own efforts and my own talents and my own abilities. I'm going to count them all as lost just for the sake of knowing you and the power of your resurrection. Work in our lives, Lord God.